Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of not only telling you how to play, but also which game systems you should be using. No, 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 no. We're going we're gonna to tell you all the game systems. He- <laughs> heck of a soft sell there, Bruce. Yeah. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. This week, Jonathan is, is going to run uh, the topic, so I'm going to let him introduce it. <laughs> okay. So today I thought what we would do is have a nice, relaxed conversation about all the different types of systems there are <laughs> and what they're used for. And it's all going to fit within a two-hour window, right? Yeah. How many tapings are we doing of this? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah we're here for all the rest of the month. <laughs> no, uh, we're recording <laughs> this for, for those behind, who would like a little peek behind the scenes and to spoil some of the magic. Uh, if you haven't already figured it out, usually we record these episodes a few weeks before they uh, show up on the internet. Um, so we're recording this like two days after Christmas. Yeah. And so I thought we could have a nice, relaxed, back and forth discussion about some of the different, uh, types of systems we, we've played and what we found them best for as far as genre. Cause we're not talking specifically about genre as setting, although they, they will play into it. Uh, I'm thinking more of, well, let me put it this way. Um, what kind of got me interested in this conversation is um, just recently, MCDM Productions, the the game company founded and run by Matt Colville of YouTube fame, has released a uh, or started their uh, crowdfunding for their RPG, their their fantasy RPG. And I think right now it's simply just called the MCDM RPG. I don't. I think that is the official title. I I can't find anything that. <laughs> says otherwise um but they advertise it as tactical heroic cinematic fantasy hmm that's a mouthful yeah it is and in their uh their backer video they talk about like what they how they define all that and that got me thinking of like huh and i've I've looked into it and that got me thinking like as far as if i want to play in a fantasy setting yeah i kind of do want a heroic system because i want to play a hero in a fantasy setting i don't want to play the average joe so that kind of, and that got my mind rolling along all the other possible types of systems out there. It's like, what, what makes it tactical? What makes it heroic? And all that kind of stuff. So that's why I kind of spawned this idea for this, this topic. It's just sitting and talking about the different types of systems there are and what we have, our experiences with them and what we found they, they tend to work best for. So to, to bring it back a little bit to like the history of, of this podcast, you know, we talk a lot about the, the TriTech system. Uh, and like I got my start in the Tritex with the '92 edition, and I think we would all agree that is very, very much a a rules chunky and a simulationist type system. There, there is a rule in there for everything from getting hit by a car to you know falling out of a window to to starving and and the infamous hit table location table charts, folks. That's right. yeah. But what's what's more important is that. Um, if there isn't a rule for it, 
there really wasn't a other than just you know Richard saying just you know the GM should use his own judgment. Uh, there wasn't any. It wasn't designed for other rules to step in, you know, and and bridge mm. that that lack. So you know, it was it was it was designed specifically to be simulationistic because the people that he was appealing to in those days were people coming out of war games where yep. every you know yeah. where it, 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 it you know somebody moving five feet when they were not supposed to those were those were fight you know the fighting wars. You know, we were talking about hundred, you know, war gamers with hundreds, if even thousands of of little miniatures moving around on a giant table. So rules had to be extreme and followed meticulously. So he was trying to appeal to those people, and so by giving him rules that that looked like really, really detailed, and I, and I say looked because really a lot of them weren't. No, most of them were just simple, like. Simple but dials, they, like they had, die or percentile yeah, but die. everything about them, you know, because of the details, the options that are available, they, you know, gave you the 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 sense that he had considered and evaluated all these edge cases so that you could have great confidence that what you what the result you ended up with with his system was something that actually made sense that would that would be what you'd expect in the real world you know uh, without the supernatural or, or or super science aspects to it so rich was very much into verisimilitude right then. yeah right. you know, uh, you yeah. know and, and as a result you know that's you know you know when time moved on and people started saying you know i, I I you know I like knowing exactly what's going to happen. I just don't like it taking two hours to resolve. Yeah, that's when they started moving away from his, and that's when I started pushing toward the idea of a, a simpler version of his system that gave the same sense of verisimilitude, but was more flexible and um, and faster. Um, and you know we uh, we had a, a lot of struggles between the two of us regarding that. You know. Being that I didn't own the property and he did, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, definitely, the early TriTech was very simulationist because, yeah, as you say, the early players during that time, yeah, they were coming out of war games, which were very much like tactical simulation based. A lot of them were around during the days of Chainmail, the predecessor to what we now know as D and D. Right, but even Chainmail and D and D, you know, they, their tables came directly from the various war games that had been published by the very same people. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, heck, even what the first, very first edition of D and D assumed you were using <laughs> a miniature. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You were, they were, you, you, you were called a fighting man. <laughs> and so, and then they added things like wizard. And uh, an elf and dwarf, you know, as character classes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you know, we went from there. But I'm just saying, is it so? It was very. The idea was very much to encapsulate, you know, what you could do, you know, with a set of of, of bound strong boundaries, so that you would not there would be any, you know, so you wouldn't try to do things that would disrupt the game. You, 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 you followed the rules that had been basically pre-planned for the successful play and, and didn't try to go beyond them. But as time went on, people wanted to do that very thing. So the, a lot of other systems came into existence, uh, including the, so, some of the most recent ones. Yeah. Cause like nowadays, 
we have a lot of players now who never touch those old war games. Um, mostly their only exposure to tabletop gaming has been like D&D or other newer games that tend to focus more on like the narrative of telling a good story and you know what realism be damned <laughs> yeah well if you look at you know it's funny that you mentioned that because you know when you look at the popularity of D&D when it resurged okay uh it happened because of people like Matt Mercer who basically is running a theatrical version of D&D you know, all yeah. the dice rolling, I mean, they do do it, but it's it's not that. They're they're focusing in on the relationships and what they say to each other and things like that, and the dice rolling is a minor part of it. So it's R-O-L-E playing, not R-O-L-L playing, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the only time they really get into heavy use of the mechanics is in combat. Yeah. And the rest of the time, it's, it's mostly just, yeah, character interaction and... He, I might still do roles for, like, you know, like negotiations, deception, and stuff like that. But yeah, most most of their gameplay is handled through role playing and talking as opposed to rolling right. dice. Right, because our again, I'm gonna, uh, my standpoint has always been the D and D is is designed to be a uh, small qu uh, squad combat. Uh, scenarios, yeah. okay, and okay. everything yeah. else yeah. that's on top of it is basically window dressing. But it is, but that is actually the fun part. So you know, and and, and they've managed to you know keep you from realizing the new players from realizing it until the and, and basically pushing it onto the GM to basically hide that so that the new players can have fun with the dramatic side of it, but still keep the game moving. Yeah, and, and what we're seeing nowadays is uh, a lot of games are moving even further away from that, and the everything is being handled by a very simplistic system where combat and everything is just, like, the, the primary example that comes to mind for this is, like, the one I've been talking about a few times is Cortex, where every challenge, whether it be a combat challenge or a negotiation challenge or investigation or anything, is all just a simple role. Uh, usually a contested role against the the game master and it's it's engineered to be every challenge is handled by a role but how it works out is up to the player or the the characters involved it's i want to try and do this thing i'm going to try to do it this way so i roll these dice all right how did i how did i do and if you succeed it's like all right i decided i did i i succeeded this way i i successfully intended my, this plan oh but there's a complication but it's very like that's why i say it's kind of that one's more of a narrative sense in that it's just about moving the story forward. The system is engineered to move the story forward at all times, quickly and simply, as opposed to trying to keep it realistic. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, can I reword that? Go right ahead. Okay. I, I'm uh, I'm saying that instead of it trying to resolve a single situation independent of everything else, it's trying to uh, resolve a piece of the of the ongoing. Uh, movement of of the uh, of the of the game. Mm, yeah. Okay. So because you know, if you can if you can basically take your game and say, all right, you know, here's the here's these roles and this is what happened, and everyone's like, oh, okay, you know, then 
that's <laughs> that's very simulistic. You know, if you if you say, well, you have to understand first of all that they're all knights of the dinner table. You know, <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and and the end result is to re restore you know the the neighboring kingdom. Then you know, if you have to know that before you actually get to the resolution of the situation, then it's it's not the same game. No, yeah, because that's one thing is that and. Like, again, looking at, like, Cortex, there's usually, you have an idea of, the, at least the Game Master has an idea of what story they're telling. And the characters also usually have a pretty good idea of where, they're, where they fit within that narrative. Can you win and lose at the same time? And again, usually that's up to the, the, the group, you know, but especially in Cortex, you can, the, the imp the general impression I've gotten from playing and from the rules is that the, 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 the characters will always succeed, although the path they take might get changed as complications pile up. Right. That's a big difference. See, you know, you're saying that no matter what, you're going to succeed, but, you know, w what the actions you take and the result of the dice rolls are going Some's to... going to bite you in a rear later. It's going to change yeah. that path. And it's going to introduce things that, you know, as a result, you know, rather than being insular, which is what I was kind of talking about. You mm -hmm. know, the, usually the, the worst thing that in the original D&D, it, it was very, it could have some very bad things happen. Okay. Um, you know, people dying was actually a funny thing. The people dying was not one of the major problems because you take them back to town and get them resurrected. It just costs money. Okay, so yeah. Well, even then, in, even early, like early D anD D, the worst thing that happened is if you die, well, you just roll up a new character. Well, yeah, if you much... were low level character without any yeah. money, then. But if you were a if you were a rich low level character, then you could you know very easily you know get that away. Now, what the the thing that was the 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 problem was in the early D anD D, you had to make saving throws against items. So the very items that you that were part of your character concept. Okay, if they got destroyed, you essentially ended up losing the character permanently, unless you could find an identical item of that kind to basically bring back the gestalt of your character. Later on, they basically said, "Well, if you don't, if you make your saving throw, then none of your items have to make their saving throws, and only if you make, you know, you fail your saving throw, do your items have to make saving throws?" And then they said, "Oh, well, only if your item is targeted." You know, specifically by an action, does your item ever have to make saving throws? Yeah. As you can see that, you know, they, they, they basically put more and more protection on the things that were part of the character concept, you know, and, and how they did things as time went on in D&D, &D, yeah. moving them more toward, as you say, you can't lose, okay, but you can... You know, the actions that you take and, and the success or failure of your actions will change the path you have to take beyond that. And that's the thing. It also kind of moved the focus towards your characters being special and heroic as opposed to just being ordinary Joes who decided to go explore a dungeon one day. You know, you have these classes that have unique abilities that already set them apart from the common rabble and... They only get stronger as they survive Far longer those and longer. Mortal men. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. As opposed to like, you know, so you have these like that's where the heroic you know ideal comes in is like you have heroic characters who are strong and already you know amazing as opposed to say Bureau Thirteen where 
the understanding was you're playing an ordinary Joe who gets sucked into this world of of supernatural horror and you know your first few missions and maybe all of them are just a, a battle to survive long enough to gain enough experience to survive long term. Yeah, I always said that the the original D and D was ordinary people, you know, in a world that had magic, and then we changed to um, heroes in a world that had magic, and then we had heroes, you know, in a magical world, and then superheroes in a magical world, which is kind of where we are right now. They kind of backed away from that. <laughs> it was it came to a, 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 a I think the, the, the top of the curve, I think, was fourth edition. Fifth edition, they tried to pull back a bit from it, but every one of these, like, subclasses, and, uh, I don't know, they don't call those splat books anymore, but any of the new stuff that they come out in these books... You know, like Tasha's Guide to Everything, the special yeah. new classes, they're all very um, super-powered. So, yeah. I.e., I, for, for if you're doing... Well, D&D has always been tried, to, what, what's the term? A high magic setting, where you're expected to, down the line, be able to cast Wish, Miracle, Meteor, Storm... Uh, the, the idea being that eventually you will be able to challenge the gods. Yes. And it, depending on the rule set, become one, you know, divine ascension. It just, yeah, I, I, I'm seeing that as like with the old school where Bruce was talking about, it was a gestalt that it was a, um, what's the term I'm looking for here? It was just a race to get these, well, I mean, magic items slash artifacts, depending on how you had your setting. So you could become powerful, and if you lost one or more, then... Oh God! I'm just a normal Joe, and I yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You take away somebody's boots of flying; they're not the same character anymore. Yeah, but to take away that one piece and be just totally yeah, no, that that I, I could see why they started changing and evolving and going. Yeah, if you take away you you build this harmonious whole, but if you take away one cog, it's as if they have nothing. I mean, all the other ideas, you know, all the other things work. So if you have like. Boots of Flight and Ring of Invisibility and the Robot Arch Magi and, you know, Gloves of Climbing. And all of a sudden you take one away and the narrative to me seemed like, okay, just with this one thing gone, you're done. And that, that'd be kind of... At the very be, least, your your entire, you know, build is now completely invalid. And, yeah, and you have to either... Yeah, and and D and D went away from that. They wanted you. They they basically yeah. gave more of these powers to you as part of your class, so they couldn't be taken away like that. So they were essentially built into your, you know, class. You know, your idea. But I I consider that just to be you know kind of a shadow show because if you give supernatural abilities to people uh, as part of their class, how is that different than giving them a magic item that gives them the same ability? The powers can't be taken away. The magic yeah, that's about it. Is, okay. Yeah, but you're still basically taking you know, taking a normal person and giving them a supernatural ability that you know. And they always had characters like that. The paladin, you know, with its ability to uh, uh, detect detect evil. Okay, and lay on hands. The mage, and yeah, you know, obviously the cleric. Okay, but they still had. Uh, but the the rogue. You know, he, all their powers originally were non-magical. Yeah, basically just enhanced skill sets. And likewise yeah. the fighter. Those two were yeah. basically like regular people who had exceptional f physical abilities. So, yeah. yeah. And through training. 
but you know, and but yeah, and that's why you know in the early D D game, you of course you know the the magic swords went immediately to the fighters for yeah. for two reasons. One was because a they had the best chance of hitting, and b there were a lot of monsters out there that could only be hit by magical weapons. Yeah, and of course the magic and uh, the uh, the clerics and the and the mages they had magic weapons. They were called spells. Yeah. No, I I noticed that in was it three o three five around that yeah three o three five, um you know you had clerics and wizards who yeah I just cast this you know spell and I did like fifty points of damage. Meanwhile, the fighters and the rogues with their swords and knives and bows and arrows and whatnot are still doing oh one d four plus maybe five at the most one d six one d eight. And I noticed this in 3035, that's when third-party people started going. You know, they, um, well, for 3035, it was the Book of Ten Swords, the, and in Pathfinder, they redid it as Path of War, where you had the chance for technically anybody, okay, if you have a ninth-level maneuver from, say, Broken Blade, your punch can do extra 50 points of damage and bypass damage reduction and hardness. And they did it as a way to level up, because that was the main thing about and we'll use a blanket term here, men-at-arms, people who used melee and some ranged weapons. The most they could do was 1d8 plus strength plus your magic modifier. Meanwhile, the spellcasters are blowing people away with 40, 50, 60-point spells. Fireball, lightning bolt, what have you. And I noticed that after a while, they started doing that, to, and they even said in the book to let martial characters have some of the fun. And just, yeah, I, I that discrepancy between weapon-using fighters and spell-using fighters was always a big thing for me. Just, I'm like, why would I want to play a fighter or a rogue when I could just be, depending on whether I have a book or a cross or, you know, some holy item well, or holy symbol? The answer to that is was very straightforward, which was they can only do that a couple of times a day, those amazing mass effect spells, okay? Fighter, yeah, it was a balancing factor, yeah. Every every single round. And of course, yeah. as soon as they did that, what, what was the cry? I'm a mage, why can't I cast a spell every single round? Because you already been given these super powered abilities. It's it's the it's the balance. That's why, you know. Yeah. And though I do I do firmly believe that first edition would have benefited a lot by giving them something like what the equivalent of a, of a cantrip, okay, where they could have done, you know, even a D4 damage, okay, that the person had to make a saving throw against every round, you know. Yeah, I think cantrips didn't come out until, like, the zero levels, uh, cantrips and orison, zero level spells for wizards and clerics. Yeah. Uh, I think second edition. Second edition. Because I know they were in third. Yeah, yeah, they were in second edition, right. And um, so, yeah, they, they were in the first, and I... But they weren't. But see, the 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 um, uh, the original they they were Oruses, but they didn't get them every round. You still only had they were like another spell level thing. You only got them so yeah. many times. You didn't start getting them every single round until fourth edition. Yeah. So and and uh, you know that would and I think that would have you know solved a lot of these problems where you know uh, where mages felt like they they were like you know one pump chumps you know so. <laughs> I should probably edit that out. <laughs> no, one pump jump. No, that's fine. All right. <laughs> <laughs>
but yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah, it, it, we've we've moved the the D and D at least has moved to making these characters even more and more super powered, more and more the classic fantasy novel heroes, as opposed to you know these these larger than life characters in a already fantastical world. Then again, we again again you you look at the other side of the coin is and you have like Bureau Thirteen or. Uh, one that might be a, a little bit more well known uh, is like, um, was it World of Darkness's Hunter? Where you, yeah, you are definitely a skilled human. Yeah, yeah, you are just underpowered compared to the monstrosities you're fighting, or Cthulhu even. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you were, that that was by intent in Cthulhu, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. They they and it was also by intent in World of Darkness because they didn't want any, they didn't want normal humans being of a threat. To these monstrosities. No, no. And, and the one time I actually played in a, a World of Darkness, they said, they said, okay, you know, uh, you know, you're, uh, you know, we would like your Bureau Thirteen players to somehow come through a dimensional warp, you know, into our world and play a, in a game. And I said, okay, fine, okay, you know, and uh, and then you know, after we identified where all the 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 vampires were and stuff like that, I said, okay, uh, by the way. Uh, we have a eight pod missile pod on our RV, and they're all now tipped out with silver and and holy water, and we're firing them into your uh, big ballroom where all your vampires are. Wait, what? And, what? And, what? They, yeah. and they said, but that'll kill all the vampires. And I said, yeah, that's kind of what Bureau Thirteen does. That's kind of what we're paid for. Yeah. <laughs> and they yeah. said, yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks. Anyways, thanks for playing. You know. <laughs> Hey, look, there's the door. Like like Eric the Enabler used to say in his Thumb Rule campaign, hey, there's the door. Why don't you go use it? Yeah, they, they, they literally said, you know, thanks, but uh, we don't, we don't, uh, I think you, you, I think you added enough to our game. And, and I said, okay, fine. I turned around yeah. and walked away. By the way, folks, by the way, folks, please refer to our old episode of Bureau 13 and World of Darkness. We did it years ago. Yeah. Habibi was on and that, that one. And that story yeah. was in there too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, and, and that's, and that's fine because that was always their intent. You know, you, yeah. you knew when you played a monster in World of Darkness, you were basically, you know, human, humans were cattle. They were, they were yeah. beneath you and anything that was important involved people above them, you know, in your group or some opposing group. You always had to deal with above, never below. Yeah, yeah. even, even Mage was like that. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Even though they're human, they're still possessed of supernatural ability to to warp realities right, so. right so that you know and, and and that's okay if that's the way you know that's there's nothing wrong with that particular worldview for your game as long as you're consistent about it you know yeah i think probably the biggest when we're saying narrative cinematic oh no world of darkness as far as that setting is like you know easily if not the biggest and i'd say in the top three when you say give me an example of a setting that's more narrative and cinematic than simulation survival. If you're not putting World oh, of Darkness, yeah. and we're not going to get into the damn edition wars, just the concept of the World of Darkness. If you're not putting that in your top three for that category, yeah, you're you're you haven't been gaming long because just I've I've I was involved with a LARPer at one time, and I had him in my group, you know, table topping, and yeah, no, there was definitely more of a desire to role play things out to get into these characters, you know. You know, it's the whole thing. What is your character's motivation? You know, that type to of... To gain and influence. Just, yeah. And, and when it came to yeah. World of Darkness, yeah. it was all about gaining influence. Yeah. Yeah. It was very much a diplomacy-focused game. 
yeah. in almost every sense. I think every World of Darkness game I played. Yeah, so says our resident LARPer here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, even, you, even you the LARP we ran was, <laughs> diplomacy was the main, we had a combat system, but it was... It was longer and clunkier than D and D's. Oh no, I I've heard the stories. Yes, yeah. when yeah, hour long combats for just slapping a guy. Um, yeah, that was literally the only thing that happened. Is I shot the dude. Oh no, there was the one. It was uh, Lord, and basically I said, "So you're arguing in in goth dress over who hit who or how you hit them?" And she's like, "Yeah," and I'm just looking at her. Said, "Don't you start." <laughs> Because it was the it was the running joke of yeah well you know my ex husband and I were larpers and I said those two words which started off a very long no I'm sorry and whoa yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and their their resolution system uh, when it came to you know the physical things they basically had six tiers and uh, and you yeah, you put x number of points into each of those tiers so and they and the tiers were big. So, like, somebody who had a one was, like, way outclassed by somebody who had a two. You know? Oh, yeah. So, like, if you were talking about moving, someone who had a one could basically run around as fast as a human being could run. Okay? Somebody who had a six, which was the top, essentially was the Flash. Yeah, yeah. Okay? They were moving so fast that, that they could create an illusion as to where they were. You know, like yeah. Superman could move back and forth so quickly that he could like be dressed as Clark Kent, sitting over there reading a news news prompter at the same time, sitting in a chair talking to Clark Kent as Superman. Okay, that's the kind yeah. of of difference you'd expect, and all of their 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 attributes were like that. So you know you uh, you know if if you were one level below somebody else's attribute. It was pretty much you're not going to win that. You've got to come at them with something that you're really good at, you know, like yeah. mind control versus speed. You know, something that is not—they're not going to be able to just outclass you completely. And that's part of the, of their game too. Was the fact is that you know they they were um, so di different from each other while still being you know, what they were, you know, still being in the classification of being a werewolf or a vampire or somebody from the uh, Fae or something like that. So it was a very, very rich system in that regard. And a lot of people absolutely loved it. I mean, they basically owned the 90s when it came yeah. to role-playing yeah. games. Oh, no, okay. Yeah. I, that, that, that's a very good way of saying it, Bruce. Yeah, White Wolf, as far as just role-playing games, that was the role RPG of the 90s. That excellently said, sir. Just yeah, you it because you know it was sort of yeah. Second edition A and D was A D and D was kind of there, but most people I saw the big game, and as I said myself, thirty five years in in the hobby. Yeah. Well, it just make it just makes you think like that. You were talking about the nineties, the the angst ridden teen Gen Xers. God. Yep. Mm hmm. And yep. Yeah, Hi, that's, how you doing? that yeah. is the RPG they would play. That anything World of Darkness, because yeah, that was that, their that was their secret. They put their finger on the pulse of of of, of the, the the teenagers at that time and turned it into a game and just raked in millions. I can I, I can see, and I'm going to do the kind of record producer kind of voice here, and I'm simulating like I'm smoking a cigar. Okay, we need to get these Gen X kids out of the coffee shop. Let's give them a game where they can explore their inner angst out in a field 
And let, let's have him be in costume, too. You know, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. No disrespect to the people at White Wolf there. I'm just, yeah, just, yeah. They didn't have to be in costume. We're talking about 90s nerds. They were already dressed that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You wore something that identified which subsect you were in. I still have somewhere in my closet my black trench coat. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I know that there's, <laughs> there at the Thomas house, Jonathan there has the secret, you know, either the, the part of his side of the closet, and it's like, this is all the stuff in the back. What is this stuff, Dad? There is the black jeans. The, uh, <laughs> well, I still wear the black t-shirts. They, those haven't gone out of my fashion rotation, but I still have the black trench coat. I still have, well, I had to get rid of the fedora because it got crushed, but... Um, yeah. Hi, three kids. Yeah, yeah. this is why. <laughs> Look at Daddy's hat. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. this is why I think that you know, barring you know something, uh, that we're going to see a big resurgence of superheroism because of all the disaffectation and the feeling of powerlessness and hopelessness that the current generation, the youngest generation, is feeling right now. I'm I'm crossing my fingers right now here at Command Central, going yes. Please. Well, see, that's the thing. I think it also, and we can tie this into the air quotes here, superhero fatigue that we've gotten with the movies. And just yes, that's why people, I said yep, you know, maybe yep, yep. it won't work. But I'm just saying, under under normal circumstances, you know, gaming seems to follow, you know, that kind of idea. Well, I I remember you and I discussed this at Gen Con years ago, Bruce, about things like political climate and whatnot. Well, it, it vacillated between if people, if the public, the general public, the zeitgeist was this way, vampires are more in vogue. If the zeitgeist is more this way, werewolves are more in vogue. Or two supernatural, I, I think it was vampires and werewolves you said, but I think that superheroes, there may be just, you're going to get that this slowly building wave of people who've been, you know, we were locked in our homes for three years and Disney Plus and Max were just, you know, ramming superhero series down our throat. And it, part of it is, and I try to explain this to youngins at work. I like them all dearly, but it's just I have that, you know, extra 20 years, 25 years of life experience. It's like we had this pummeled into us for three years where we got to the point, why would we want to go to the theater where we could sit home and watch Disney Plus or Max or whatever and get wonderful superhero series. 60-inch televisions, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. And we're not having... We can pause it, go to the bathroom, get something to drink, not have to take out a small damn loan to go to the theater for two people. And after a while, that that, that rolling wave is going to be, you know what? I could come up with a better idea. Oh, this thing about a role-playing game. Oh, there's all sorts of superhero... There's mutants and masterminds, and the Savage Worlds has theirs, and, you know, yeah, and just... I think that's going to be how it is, where it's just like, you know, it's like the Beavis and Butthead thing. What right. the hell is this crap? But Sucks, gonna, change it, and they'll do it. Right, but they're going to have to do it in such a way that it basically in, um, allows them to communicate their, you know, their feelings, their, their, their sense of empowerment, not only in a physical sense, but also in a social sense. You know, t- basically taking that those concepts the way Wolf had and, and, and like these later ones, like I said, into a more dramatic thing. We want, we're, we're heading in that direction. We always have been. Okay, and the people that and, and, you know that they originally designed D and D from, which was all those adventure stories, you know, uh, Lee Brackett, you know, um, uh, Tarzan, all those things like that. You know, 
they couldn't do it in the systems that they had originally, okay? So they did what they did. But we've seen this as it's been going on. It's getting, always been getting more and more in that direction. So you know, the, that's what I see right now is the struggles of these new systems uh, is either A, they're trying to become very small, so they only deal with a very limited thing, like what we saw in Control, uh, that one game we, we reviewed, Remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. Had all like, the dials and things like that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. To ones that are more trying to simulate a, a general sense of being in the world itself, you know, in your place in the world, you know, and, and those games are, you know, and, and that's the hard one because that's where you're going to have to have these super flexible uh, rules uh, and... You know, and we may find out that uh, that that fate had it right all along. <laughs> Where you know, oh yeah, the, that, yeah. that basically anytime you you try to do something, you know, the G uh, uh, the GM says, "Well, you failed," and then you look at the GM says, "No, I didn't," and then the GM you know takes a whole bunch of uh, fate points and shoves them in your direction because they're complications and says, "Well, maybe you did." And then you have to say, am I going to accept all that and and succeed? You know, which is the, the crux, of, I think, of all the major new things coming out here is finding ways to say yes without uh, invalidating the actual results of the mechanic. So we are basically going toward as a, and again, it's the term that works best, the zeitgeist, the, the going flow of a group at a time. Yeah. Zeitgeist, because you mentioned this, Jonathan, with uh, Cortex. Yeah, say yes. Yeah. We had a whole, you know, uh, podcast episode on saying yes and how yeah. to say yes. So everybody, please do pay, go back and look at that because we covered a lot of really important points on that, on how, you know, how you can say yes without giving away the store, okay? Without, yeah. you know, without making it a Monty Hall players, campaign or anything, yeah. You know, what... Being fair to the other players when you do it, but yeah, what I'm apparently by this discussion here, from what I'm seeing is, yeah, say yes. Very few times that you'll say no. It is just like I said earlier, somebody will be got bit on the posterior later down the line. There will be a repercussion to you doing this act, which might be bad, but it will also help the story along. It will also, you know, plot the next step on this path that you're taking with this story. And from what I'm seeing with what we just discussed, that is the current way of how role-playing games are going. Well, I mean, that's the way they need to go. But right now, at least half of the role-playing games out there are all designed to identify the no. Yeah. To say, no, you'd succeed, you, did, you failed. So you 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 didn't do anything this round. You did you know nothing progressed because of that. You rolled a one. You rolled yeah. under fifteen. You you know they swung at you and your armor class was high enough that they didn't do anything. Okay, so there's an awful lot of game systems out there that are designed to identify the no and you know and and sometimes you rejoice in the no and sometimes you you weep at the no. Okay. These new game systems are saying, you know, is it really going to be no? Or, you know, is it going to be, it's only no if the cost of yes is too high. Mm, yeah. All right. And to give you a really good example of that, Savage Worlds. Savage Worlds has every appearance of the, 
the classic games, other than the fact that you have to, you're rolling bigger size dice to try to hit a four. Okay, so there's, if you roll less than a four, you fail. Except you yeah. don't. Because you have these things called bennies. Yep. And mm-hmm. and yeah. you can re-roll your dice. And, you know, you have like three tries or more. You, uh, on average, you have three tries to, you know, to, to re-roll that very important roll. And if you fail that, if one of the other members of your team has what's called common bond, they can share their bennies with you and you can keep rolling. So I'm like, as the GM, okay, that guy hits you for five wounds. You can only take three, by the way. Uh, you are out. You know, you are down. And they say, oh, well, here, let me roll my, my take, uh, take a benny and try to soak that damage. And it yeah. says, okay, every every uh, uh, multiple four I roll on this die, uh, which might be, let's, uh, I see it on ridiculous fours, but let's call it a 10, okay? Um, if every multiple four, uh, I I soak one of those wounds, all right? And then if, uh, and there, it's open-ended, so if I roll a 10, then I get to roll again, adding that number you know, uh, unless I roll a 10 again, and then adding again, you know. Oh, God, there's a term for that. Is. Exploding and, dice. Yeah, Thank you. Exploding dice or acing dice, you know. And and I have had people say, oh, I sucked all five of those wounds. And I'm like, okay, so okay. my narrative in my brain just exploded, just imploded, okay? So now <laughs> it's like, well, now how do I explain what just happens, you know? It's it's you know they they it's like you know uh, Paul Atre- uh, Atreides flowing like water around uh, you know uh, a phase knife you know uh, as in that final battle between the two of them and, and sticking him with his, with his you know with his own uh, poisoned uh, belt sp- uh, spear or whatever you know and and winning I'm just like you have to like this is that is that's some seriously dramatic. Over the top stuff, and that's when you basically. Yeah, this is when the GM says, "Okay, you explain what just happened." <laughs> well, they had the same thing with the exploding die in the old Mayfair DC Heroes game, right? Where what that was that chance? If you were Batman and you you're playing, you know, Batman in that DC Heroes game, and you keep just rolling them exploding dice, yeah, you lifted something you know that's only Superman can lift. Yes. Yeah, and you, even then, I'm just and I and I did DC Heroes and Marvel Heroes back, ladies, early '90s, and even in my early twenties, I'm like, ah, no, just right. no. There. So here we have a game, okay, where uh, it, it has all the appearances of an old school, you know, uh, standard resolution type game, but in fact, is it is actually a dramatic cinematic game that's been disguised. As, yeah. an old, as an old school, you know, roll the dice and see whether or not you succeeded or failed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, now, granted, you can't do that super, you know, using up all the bennies on the board and stuff like that every single round. But I'm saying when it matters, okay, you can do that and it changes everything. If you're doing it to enhance the narrative to win the day, fine. But if you're doing it just because, well, I don't want to get damaged at all. I want to have no bad things ever happen to me. Then you're ruining it with the special with the common bonds. Like, okay, you all it is, you just don't want to get hit and you're using all our benny No. No. Your your character gets a bloody nose and gets knocked on their butt, pal. Yeah. Yeah, you're not 
You're not stealing our chance to have just because you don't want to get hurt. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I have also, you know, I mean, just to be fair to the system and everything, okay, you know, as the GM, there are Bennies. The GM has Bennies, too. Yeah. And I've had cases where, you know, the the uh, you know either the bad guy rolls a one, and I said, I'm going to re-roll that because I got Bennies, okay, or they hit... The bad, the, the B, uh, uh, is it the BFG, or whatever, uh, uh, with, uh, with like some obnoxious amount of, of wounds. And I go, Oh, okay. He, he, he absorbed all that. <laughs> it's like, so there it is. They do play fair on both sides. It's just that you, you have like four to six players that, you know, and you got with all their bennies and you got your bad guy with like a couple of bennies. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's going to be definitely tilted toward the player side. So oh, yeah, know, as it should be, because you know, the story is about them. It's not about the GM. So, but I'm just saying is that, you know, that's, that's something that I wanted to bring out that there's a lot of games that have learned to, to appeal to these old school players Yet they're actually mass, you know, they're they're masquerading that way. They're really a, a more modern, dramatic, uh, and you know, as is, how did you put it, uh, Jonathan? Well, the cinematic, cinematic, or, or cinematic. Yeah, yeah, they're more cinematic than we think they are. Jonathan, would you like me to give out contact info for our listener? Yes, I was. All right. Ask. If you have any questions about tonight's segments. Fans of the Gaming of the Frontier podcast group on Facebook. Bureau 13 Agents Everywhere on Facebook. Fringeworthy RPG fans on Facebook. TritacSystems.podbean.com. Comment section there. Um, we are on iTunes and Spotify. Please give us high reviews for our work here. And any questions, um, Bruce has been giving out his email now for years. So that, again, sir, bsheffer at AOL.com. That's S S H E F F E R. Um, I, I'm Trav. I'm 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 like McDonald's and Harry Potter. I'm everywhere. You can find me. I have a digital footprint. I will be more than happy to answer questions. Contact these two gentlemen here, and we'll you know hammer out an answer for you. And also, these contact points are for you to come at us with your ideas. We will bring them up on future episodes. We may even get you on here. We've gotten co-hosts due to that. So. Yes, by all means. Oh yeah, no, and we've 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 gotten some good people. We've gotten some characters. So, yeah. Um, but yes, Jonathan, this is a wonderful topic. Thank you, sir, for this. Yeah, no problem, uh, Bruce. You want to take us out with the final words? Thanks, everyone, for uh, listening to us. Uh, we will have more for you next week, but you'll have to wait until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying. There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.